Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Good to see you today. Thanks for coming to church. Hello to everybody online. I just want to clarify that there were new provincial health orders, but they don't have any bearing on our church gatherings. So please come as you have planned to come. If you're watching online today thinking that you weren't allowed to come to church, it's not true. You can still come to church. We'll look forward to seeing you. And if you have tickets for Christmas Eve and you're planning to be with us in person, please come. We are uh, able to do exactly what we had planned to do. So we look forward to seeing you really, really soon. Uh, Laura mentioned shopping. Anybody been doing some shopping lately? Yeah. I, I have done very little, and I know that's a problem, but it's the truth, very little. Um, and I say very little because I've done just a little bit, but it was yesterday. Did anybody shop yesterday? Why did I shop yesterday? What was I thinking? Anyway, um, it reminds me of a, a story of a grandma who decided, you know what? I have done gifts for all the kids, all the grandkids, all these years. I'm not doing gifts anymore. I'm going to go to Hawaii. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get a stack of of $50 bills, put it in the card, and let them buy their own gift this year. And so as she wrote all the cards, she popped them in the mail, and off they went to all the kids. And she went to Hawaii for Christmas, and she came back to find the stack of $50 bills. She had forgot to put them in the card. And so when people opened their card, this is what they found. Oh, Grandma's card. And it says inside, buy your own present this Christmas. Love, Grandma. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Don't forget the money, grandparents. They're looking for the money. They shake the envelope when they open it to see if anything falls out. (laughs) Well, it's Christmas time, and so we want to continue in our Christmas journey. That's what we've been doing, and we've been walking specifically through the book of Matthew. And Matthew has this sort of blank spot where we would normally insert the manger scene, uh, the travel to Bethlehem and so on. It goes from where we were last week about Mary, about Joseph taking Mary into his home. And it goes right to chapter two, where it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so what we're going to do is on Christmas Eve, we'll take the detour out of Matthew, go to Luke and look at that part of the story. But let's stay in our storyline together. And I want to just jump into chapter two with you and pick up the story here because I really think um, this is this message is unique for a day like today and I just want to ask you to stay with me till the end because I really think God has something really beautiful to say to us. Let's start reading in chapter two verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, that's key, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem The Magi were from Persia. They were Chaldeans. They searched the stars. They read scrolls. They had the writings of Daniel. They knew the prophecies, and they knew the time was now. And so they come to Jerusalem in verse 2 and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The time of King Herod, born king of the Jews. 
the time of King Herod, I need to just help you understand a little bit about what was meant in that tiny little phrase. You see, King Herod was a defining factor in the world at this time, not just in Israel. King Herod was a a difficult and complex character. He was evil, but also quite impressive. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you can find stones that are called Herodian stones because they were cut with precision the way that King Herod designed them to be cut. You can look all over the Holy Land and see King Herod, King Herod, King Herod. You see ruins everywhere. King Herod was a master builder, and he built a temple for the people of Israel. And this temple was the most impressive structure in the world. In fact, it was two times larger than any temple that had ever been built at, in, in the time period or even to this day. He also built a city a port city called Caesarea, where there was no city before. He built a 260-acre harbor. That's impressive. He named the city Caesarea after, King, after Caesar. He was loyal to Caesar, but he was also a wealthy man in his own right. In fact, some would say he was the wealthiest man in the world at this time wealthier than Caesar. And the way that he had developed his wealth was he produced a secret recipe that was an aphrodisiac. It was actually the very first Viagra ever made. And he sold this to all the Greeks and the Romans, and he had endless wealth. And that's how he was able to build all that he built. Caesar had one palace. Herod had nine One of his palaces was built on top of a hill, but the hill wasn't quite tall enough, so they took a smaller hill and and bucket by bucket through slave labor moved it to that one hill to make it large enough for him to build his fortress, his palace that's known as Herodium. And you can look up pictures of it. It's fascinating. It's where he was buried. It's still there today. I've been to the ruins. It's absolutely amazing. So here's Herod, the king. And then here's Jesus, born king of the Jews. The contrast is striking. Jesus was homeless. Jesus was poor. Jesus was born in a stable. And yet he is the king of kings. Friends, the Christmas story tells us that things are not as they appear. Something else is going on. Herod was the king of the Jews. But Jesus was born king of the Jews. Can you imagine how threatening it would be for the half-Jewish, half-Idiomite king to hear that there was someone with the birthright to his throne? And so verse 3 says it rightly. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Have you ever heard the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, the thing, the the statement is true with Herod. If Herod isn't happy, nobody's happy. And so all of Jerusalem was disturbed with Herod because when Herod got disturbed, people died. In fact, Herod was insanely suspicious. 
He killed anyone that threatened his throne. In fact, he killed thousands of Jews when he first took over the throne. He killed the high priest. Um, Shortly after that, he murdered his wife's brother at fear that he might take the throne. Within due time, in his insanely jealous and twisted mind, he killed his own wife because he loved her so much he didn't want anything else to happen to her. He also killed his mother-in-law. He then killed two of his sons who he was worried were trying to plot against him. And on his deathbed to keep his third son from getting the throne, he killed him too. I mean, this guy was a megalomaniac. His ego was so huge. In fact, Caesar Augustus said this, I'd rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son because his pigs have a better chance of living. That's That's what Caesar Augustus said of him. He killed tens of thousands of Israel's best and brightest. And some scholars say he killed a person every single day, killed as many as a million people. Merry Christmas, everybody. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You get the point. It was in the time of Herod that Jesus came. It was a threatening time. It was a scary time. Any public gatherings were seen as uh, being a means for spying and uh, for intrigue and for uh, King Herod to become alarmed. And so when this happened, Herod was disturbed. Verse four, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they knew and they told him in verse five, in Bethlehem in Judea. And then they quoted for him the passage of scripture that says that that would be the case. So then what does Herod do? In verse 7, he called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that star had appeared when they started to follow it. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Not true. He had no intention of worshiping and we know that. He has a track record here. So I want to just now take a few minutes. I'm being mindful of your time and of your ability to focus this close to Christmas. So I get it. And I want to give you three reactions to Jesus, three ways of reacting to Jesus. Because we see it so clearly in this story, there's more than one way to react to the birth of the king of the Jews. First, we see it right here with Herod, hostility. Hostility is one way to react to Jesus. And and Herod teaches us that It's fear that breeds hostility. You look at the storyline of his life, and basically his motto was, I will act against you before you have a chance to act against me. And this is so present throughout his life. In fact, it's known that Herod died a very painful, very, very disturbing, horrible death. But before he died, he made all the plans for his burial, for his funeral, for the entourage with the full guard and everything. And he made one very important concession. He said, listen, I want you to go around and I want you to arrest all the prominent Jews that you can find. Put them in prison. I'm about to die. And when I die, because I think the people will probably celebrate, I want you to kill all those prominent Jews so that they'll cry on my death. And thank God in his mercy that that wasn't enacted That was, you know, when Herod died, they released all those people. But that was the kind of man he was. And this is what fear will do to you. 
This kind of hostility is hard to imagine. And we do know from the storyline that later on in verse 16, that Herod actually, feeling though the, the Magi had not come back to him to tell him where they were, in his fury, he sent his military in and they killed every child under the age of two in Bethlehem. And that was just par for the course for the king known as the king of the Jews. You see, the truth is people will do horrible things when they are afraid to lose what they have. And you know, I've seen it over and over again. And one of the main reasons why people resist Jesus is because they're afraid of what it might cost them. They're afraid of what they might lose, something that they feel that they cannot live without. And I wonder if maybe this is your story today, that you resist Jesus out of fear of the cost, afraid that following him, giving your life to him, submitting yourself fully to him would cost you your pride, would cost you your money, would cost you your secrets, would, would cost you your desire for your future. And I see now this contrast so clearly. Jesus in the stable, Herod in his palace. And the truth is, when we consider this idea, this concept, we want the palace. Who wants the stable? And yet Jesus is in the stable. Jesus is there. The palace is safe. The palace is comfortable. But the stable is where Jesus is. And it's where he invites us to come to make him king, king in our life. You see, hostility is born out of fear. The fear of loss, the fear of change, the fear of being taken advantage of, the fear of losing control or dominance. And I just want you to hear me say this. You can trust Jesus. You can trust him. Don't let fear rob you of the beautiful peace that comes when we kneel at the stable. Hostility. Hostility is one reaction to Jesus. There's another one. Indifference. Think about the chief priests. They were all brought together, these, these scribes, these teachers of the law, and Herod said, hey, the Magi are here. They followed the star. They've come for months across the desert to find this one born king of the Jews. Where would he be born? And they say right away it would be in Bethlehem. But here's the thing that is so intriguing to me. It was six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And yet there's no record of these chief priests even sending someone to go see if there was something to this. Completely indifferent. I find that so strange, don't you? When you step back and look objectively at indifference, you can point it out. But when you're in it, you're blind to it. Ah, oh, it's not worth it. It's too much effort. It's not a real deal. It's just another one of those things where people are talking and whatever. We're busy. We're doing the real thing right here. It's kind of like the fictional story of the innkeeper. You know, did you know that the innkeeper is actually not in the Bible? I don't want to burst anybody's Christmas bubble, but in all of our Christmas plays, there's an innkeeper, right? And he comes to the door and he's grumpy and he says, there's no room for you. And he closes the door, right? But the innkeeper doesn't actually exist. But I think the place that he holds in our psyche and in our hearts is real. 
Because there are times where we, like that innkeeper, would be thinking about money and be thinking about what's best for my business and miss the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. Or we might get to a place where we would actually become too busy for compassion. Because one thing I'm sure of is the innkeeper had a bed and he didn't offer it to Mary who was having a baby. See, there's times where we can be blinded. Indifference causes us to be blind. In fact, indifference is a devastating state to find ourselves in. Yet, I must say that Christmas provides an incredible opportunity to move into indifference. We're, we're just, we're desensitized because we're oversensitized by all of the lights and all of the stuff. You know, at the time of Jesus and throughout the Jewish history, after the Greeks came in with Alexander the Great into the Holy Land, there was a a group of Jews that began to rise up that were known as Hellenistic Jews. And these Hellenistic Jews were interesting people. They were Jewish, and they believed in the God of the Hebrews, but they also understood Greek culture. In fact, the truth is the Hellenists preferred it. They adopted Greek culture. They adopted the worldview of the Greeks. They adopted the practices of the Greeks. Truth is, is they were very interested in the palace and had no interest in the stable, if you understand what I mean. They loved the Greek way of life. They loved the idea of pleasure, of intellect, of decadence, of indulgence, of living in the senses And the Hellenistic Jews were indifferent. They were indifferent to their own heritage, indifferent to their faith, indifferent to the one true God. Can anybody see where I'm going here this morning? I know it's a challenge, but hear me say this. This can be a reality for us as Christians. You can certainly be an Americanized or Hellenized, if you will, Christian. It can happen to us. Wanting the palace more than the stable. Prioritizing intellect and pleasure and indulgence and decadence over your Christian heritage, your faith practice, your true longing for Jesus. And so feel the warning that indifference brings. At Christmas time, we should actually be naturally drawn to the quiet and the simplicity of the stable. But how many of you know the reality is, is that we fight the sparkle. We fight the shine of the commercialization of this holiday season. And so my desire for you is that you would shake yourself this morning, wake up, pay attention, and resist the indifference that wants to settle upon you and choose, if you will, the third reaction that we find in the storyline, the third reaction to Jesus we see in this part of the Christmas journey is worship. 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 It is a reaction to Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. And when I think about these magi who came from the east, isn't it true to say that true worship is always preceded by a search for God? Just imagine their excitement. Just imagine their joy in coming to find the Christ child. Imagine it. In fact, let's read it together. After they had heard the king, that's King Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, And worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
these wise men, they traveled an incredibly long distance. For months they traveled. They bought lavish gifts. And what was the point? Just to adore Jesus. Friends, that was the only point of the gift. They just wanted to adore Jesus. There's no further storyline. They go home. It's, that's it. And sometimes we go, yeah, but what, what did they really do? They worshiped. They came all that way just to worship. That was it. They didn't leave empty-handed. They left with hearts full because they saw something that changed their lives forever. They discovered the joy of finding what they had been searching for. And in the process, not just finding, but being found. That's what happens to us when we worship. That's what happens to us when we draw near to Jesus. Just like the wise man, we too can be captured by the simple wonder of the one who's born king today. We really can. You see, the truth is, is worship adds to the glory of the moment. And the wise men added to the glory of meeting Jesus by giving their gifts. But understand this, nothing that they gave compared to what they received. Nothing compares to what we receive from Jesus. Friends, you have a savior. You have a savior. He loves you. Born for you and me. Simple, hey? But life-changing. So here's my encouragement to you on Christmas Sunday. That's what we call today. Instead of the palace of hostility and indifference, hey, let's choose the stable. Let's choose the stable of genuine trust and true worship. Let's come to Jesus. He's waiting for us there. Listen, don't let fear rob you of that beautiful journey. Don't, don't let fear take from you the richness of Christmas. Just lean into Jesus. And listen, as, as we go from this place, don't let Christmas come and go without a genuine search that ends in genuine worship. Find your Jesus. He's in the stable. Don't forget it. He's not at the mall. <laughs> He's in the stable. Make room for that. Let's pray together. Lord, our hearts are to respond. I feel it already rising in this room. We want to respond. We want to worship. We want to have the opportunity to join with the Magi in bringing the gift that we have, which is our song and our heart and our hands lifted today. And we, we're going to do that in just a minute. But Lord, as we prepare ourselves to go there, 
Jesus, would you please, would you please come so near to us? Obviously, unlike the wise man, we can't geographically go to the place where you are. And so we need you to be Emmanuel now. God with us here in this moment, in this very moment, Emmanuel, meet us here, Jesus. We want your presence. We choose the stable and we bow in reverence and we give you our gifts in Jesus' name. And so without saying amen, I just want to invite you to stand with me, still in this attitude of prayer. And let's lift our song. Maybe it's not about a beautiful voice. Maybe it's just about a real heart that says, I don't want to miss the stable this Christmas. Let's worship him.